Hello and welcome to This Way Up. In this series, I talk to a number of leading women in the creative industry, talking specifically about the good, the bad and the ugly of their career. In this episode, I had a lovely conversation with Sarah Ellis. Sarah is the co-founder of Amazing If, an award-winning career development company with a mission to make work better for everyone. She's also known for the great career podcast, Squiggly Careers, and co-author of a book by the same name. This interview could not have been more relevant for our current times. One of the reasons I reached out to Sarah was because of what happened to my best friend. After being furloughed and then made redundant from her job, my friend found herself lacking confidence at the prospect of finding new work, something she had not done in years. She knew she should take this opportunity to go after her dream job, a career that would have been squiggly as it was completely different to her old one. But thanks to Sarah and her co-founder's advice through their book and podcast, she was able to not only find her confidence, but then get her dream job. My friend's experience is not unusual. In fact, working mothers were 47% more likely to have permanently lost their jobs during the pandemic. So it's great to sit down with Sarah and to really understand not only her own career path, but get excellent advice on how to embrace a squiggly career. And of course, all the great things that we can do or put in place to ensure that we can strive in the workplace. You'll have to hear for yourself to believe me. So without further ado, this is Sarah Ellis and this is This Way Up. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really looking forward to being on the other side of the uh, conversation today. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it must feel weird. Oh, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited to interview because we actually know each other from the world of advertising um, because that's your background, which we'll talk about in a minute. But before we do, um, as you know, I always like to start by giving the listeners an idea of your background. So maybe we should start um, where you went to university. So, I mean, I made, I think in hindsight, what feels like quite a strange decision after finishing my A-levels. So I'd done... English, literature, uh, philosophy, geography, sociology, um, lots of ologies, basically, wow. um, and kind of arts, uh, broadly arts-related subjects. Um, and I think I had, I, I don't even know where it came from, a real last-minute panic that those subjects were never going to get me a job, which is not true at all. Um, and I always suggest to people now, you know, do the do the topics you're really interested in, Um and I was going to go and do philosophy or sociology. That sort of all of my choices yeah. were all about those two topics. And then I thought, had this panic and went and did <laughs> business management in Nottingham. Oh, wow. Yes. And not only um not only was it business management, but it was a really vocational degree where you actually only went to university really for a year and then you spent two years working for a FTSE 100 company doing lots of placements so very early on by 19 I was actually already really working you know pretty much full-time going back to university for these sort of ad hoc weeks you had to fit your university work in sort of around working so I sort of it it's a bit cringy now but it's sort of like an early version of the apprentice this program was Mm. and um yeah, and I find it really hard, actually. I sort of didn't really felt, feel like I fitted in. Um, 
lots of people there sort of wanted to be like the next Richard Branson. Um, and I don't think wow. at that time, I think all I really thought about that time was like, you know, reading books. But I am so glad that I did because that is how I met Helen, who is now my one of my best friends ah. and my business partner. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize you met that yeah. early on in your That's careers. when we met. Oh, no wonder you're best yeah. friends for that long. Yeah. But I just want to pause on that because that is so interesting. <laughs> Oh, on so many different levels, because I tell you what, <laughs> growing up in France, it was the same thing that we were just told from such an early young age, like you must find a topic at university or, or wherever that is very vocational, you know, mm. otherwise you'll never get a job. And and it, it can be really dis- destructive because, as you said, it's so much better that young age to to really sort of explore yourself in every single way, uh, not just in your studies, but mentally as well. So that was, that must have been a real shock to the system and quite hard. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I, I thought quite seriously about stopping um, and starting again, uh, perhaps going in a different direction. But, you know, I sort of, I I stuck with it and there were some things I really enjoyed. And I think particularly once I started working I started working at Boots they were the company that sort of sponsored me Mm. through years two and years three there was one thing that we did that I think kept me going for two years and it was something called a reflective portfolio and this reflective portfolio was something you wrote at the end of every placement where you really thought about yourself and where you'd progressed maybe where you know you'd made mistakes and what had you learned Um, and it was all about kind of self-awareness kind of understanding yourself understanding others thinking about kind of learning to learn essentially and Mm. I was exceptionally good at those and it was the first (laughs) time that I was like and that you know that's how Helen and I became friends because Helen I mean Helen is exceptionally good at everything apart from it turns out reflective portfolios so she tracked down Mm. the one person who was really good at these and and that was me I was sort of I'm much more introverted she's much more extroverted um, and I think I'm, she probably emailed me at work and said, oh, can we can we have a coffee? I want to chat about how you're doing so well in these reflective portfolios, basically, <laughs> so that she could steal my ideas. <laughs> That's amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah. So you really sort of fit like a perfect puzzle. We do. The yeah. two of you. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really interesting. So you do you think you've got that kind of very analytical skill that you sort of got that from early on then yeah I think I was lucky actually in that one thing that degree taught all of us was to be was was awareness was self-awareness mm. so I think perhaps a slightly different I suppose it's analyzing yourself so really being very aware kind of emotionally intelligent thinking mm. about how you can always be work in progress how you can be improving and and just this idea of like always being learning and and wanting to 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 be better and um, what does mm. that look like practically? So really then applying that to your day job. Yeah. And I think that's often what's missing is um, like, then what do you mm. go away and do? Practically, what does that look like? And I think Completely. I was lucky that that was, that was embedded into this program that we did that actually is a really unique and innovative program. Mm. So when I came out of that, I think I took that with me into every job, every kind of twist and turn of my career. And I'll actually always be really grateful for that. Mm, That sounds amazing. But I wonder as well, because um, it's interesting what you were saying about Helen not being just as as good as you on on that that kind of (laughs) self and analytical sort of strength. Do you think in terms of your upbringing at all that had an influence on that? Do you think you've got a natural talent to it or really was it just the university and, and the course and how it sort of taught you? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think self-awareness is a skill and I think anything that's a Mm -hmm. skill can be learnt, practised and improved. I think I have a natural inclination and interest in learning Mm. generally and self-development and wanting to be better. Um, Mm. And I think then probably those two things coming together. So it being a skill that you can learn and improve and having a natural interest in it. When those two things, when those two worlds collide, I think that makes for a very happy marriage. Mm, completely and I can see the reason I asked that question is I could really see that in you that kind of natural (laughs) it's sort of because you do you have to love it um and I I, you know I'm definitely put my hand up in that I love doing that myself self-improvement if you just get it right can actually be quite enjoyable which is weird to say because some people might be listening to that and go no fucking way (laughs) (laughs) so but tell me, once you were in um, in Boots, uh, what was that like? Because that's very corporate world. I mean, um, I worked with Boots a while back and, and, you know, it's pretty full on, I can imagine. Yeah, though, probably not the most full on place I worked, I think. So I, oh, really? um, yeah, I, I continued to work in very big organizations for the majority of my career. So I worked for Boots. I worked for GlaxoSmithKline, particularly LucasAid wow. and Ribena. I worked for Barclays and then I worked for Sainsbury's. So I worked for some really big brands that all have lots of colleagues, mm. lots of employees, and where you are always a very small fish in a, in a very big pond. And actually, yes. Um, I had some, I had a real mix of experiences and I think that's true in every career. We talk about this idea of squiggly careers and I don't think anyone's career is ever straightforward, Mm. but what I enjoyed about those environments, um, and actually I did really enjoy them probably particularly last couple of years at Barclays and, and Sainsbury's I I really enjoyed working in was the impacts that I do think organizations who, you know, big organizations can make if they want to. Um, so I think if you find an organization that has strong values and and they're, they've got a scale, they can use that scale to have a really positive impact. And and I really appreciated when I worked in, in marketing and then later mm. worked in corporate responsibility, that ability to impact lots of people's lives, um, whether that's mm. through, communi- through communication, so helping people to manage their money as part of starting up their own business, or whether that is helping people on food waste. I actually always appreciated the opportunity to um you know to achieve things that uh, affect lots of people and work in brands that you see on your high street and that I'd grown up with mm. and so and 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 I'm I'm still really positive about those big corporate places you know now I work in the smallest place that's my own place <laughs> but um I actually once I found the right kind of homes for me and the right kind of roles I was always slightly weird and wonderful I think is putting it politely in those <laughs> corporate environments I was definitely the entrepreneur um and and not you know not necessarily the stereotypical person that would succeed in those in those places right. but I think if you find the right roles and you work for the right people you can do an awful lot of good and learn a lot and achieve a lot and you know mm. my values are achievement ideas learning and variety and you know I I found all of those four things working in those big corporate worlds that's incredible and we have to touch on those values again um (laughs) in a moment but um because I'm sure you've got a lot more on that and how to sort of get uh, you know find out how to 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 get your values um but the key thing I wanted to ask you when you said that that was interesting that you sort of hinted I felt to the fact that you really had to sort of that kind of entrepreneurial um streak that you've got you've got to find a way 
um, to make it fit within that environment. Is that correct? Yeah, I think now every organization needs people who are happy with ambiguity, mm. like pieces of paper and change. And actually, I always found that most exciting. So I always wanted to go into roles and teams that were being created that where we had to start ah. from scratch. That's what always kind of motivated me. Mm. I was never and still not, I'm not a continual improvement person. Um, I'm not the person to do things in the same way that they've been done before and just make them incrementally a little bit better. I'd rather, um, yeah, take a blank piece of paper and write my own job yes. description, which actually I think I did um, a couple of times and, and started to actually, yeah, I think, you know, I created a real, I got a track record of doing jobs that didn't exist before I did them. Um, and that that that's always incredible. really worked for me and that appealed to me. For lots of people, that's their worst case scenario and that's that's fine too. So I think it's, you know, and that was all through experimentation and a bit of trial and error. And you, mm. of course, make some mistakes along the way too. And I once had, um, I once did a job where really the job was a sales job and it was an absolute disaster as somebody who is um an introvert who finds meeting new people very nerve-wracking um I very quickly learned that sales wasn't for me and actually there's a real system to doing sales really well um, that's right and that kind of just just didn't work for me so you know I've I've you can it, when you tell when you talk about kind of things that you've done and I'm very positive about lots of the experiences I've had there were definitely some moments where I was like gosh, this is a, this is a disaster and I am <laughs> rubbish at this and I need to get out of it and I don't know how and it feels really hard um, and those, those moments are really tough. Yeah, and I'm sure this is where your self-awareness skill and analytical skills sort of came in handy to be able to sort of step back and then sort of change. They do. I think um, one of the things that I think is hard is that some of the tough experiences I had were quite early in my career. Okay. Um, at those times, I didn't have a support network around me. I didn't have mm. a support system of people who I could go and talk to to get advice or insights. And so that can feel really lonely. Um, mm. And I, I remember actually making a few of those kind of mistakes and feeling quite basically both embarrassed, almost being like, oh, I feel like I've made a really big mistake here and actually really isolated. So kind of struggling mm. to to see how I would make my way through those moments. Mm. And so I think as I had more experiences, both kind of your, your self-awareness improves, but also I started to really appreciate the value of just starting to create that support system of people who were who wanted me to succeed, were on my side, could challenge me, mm. ask me some really good questions. And actually I can, I can really see now when I, you know, it's always easier to understand in hindsight, isn't it? But yes. I can really see that once I started to have just a few of those people around me, my, my career accelerated. And of course it's yes. down to you and you've got to work hard and, and know what you want to do and find the work that's meaningful for you. So there's a lot of what you do and your own self-awareness, but I don't think anyone's career you don't success is never a solo endeavor you've got no. to get the right people around you and and look after those people and invest in those relationships because they are so important to you and even later in my career where I had moments where I felt like I was failing or I wasn't quite sure about decisions I was making or just finding something tough it's those people around you that I think just help uh, you get through the tough times. And I read some really interesting research, actually, from a brilliant author, a lady called Margaret Heffernan, 
she wrote a book mm. called Uncharted. And in Uncharted, she, she's worked with loads of CEOs. She's been a CEO over in Silicon Valley. And one of the things that she finds is that what helps a CEO get through crisis moments in jobs and in careers mm. is all about the work friendships that they have. And she said ah. that often now we don't spend time building friendships because mm. we let them fade because we think it's not a priority. We haven't got time for it. It feels like a nice to do rather than a must do. And she makes a really compelling argument for how we need to build relationships beyond the ones that we need today. And I think it is such good advice. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it is such an um, important point and actually something that people don't talk enough. And as you were talking, I was thinking that's completely true with my own career. Things have changed because suddenly I had a group of women, uh, particularly and men, that I could turn to for help. In, in, and it doesn't have to be at your work. It could be anyone else um, that have the skill sets that you want to maybe emulate uh, or, you know, any sort of um, different type of help. That's really fascinating. And per perhaps the perfect segue to sort of bring <laughs> Helen into this. Oh, because, yeah, we should, we should. Yeah, and I'm just intrigued as to, as you were sort of going on to your career, where, where was Helen in all of this? I assume that you were sort of still talking to her quite a bit. Yeah, so actually really we became friends as we, we worked at Boots, we were both at Boots together mm. and then we went off and had, you know, our, our own careers and really we, we were just friends who mainly met up to have afternoon tea to be honest because uh, we were never living in the same place at the same time uh, and that mm. became our ritual and our kind of way of catching up and there was just a moment where I was working at Sainsbury's, Helen was at Virgin, um, so for the first time we were actually both in London at the same time and we were both kind of having a chat about our careers and, and where they'd gone. And I drew this idea of this squiggly career on, actually, it's a bit of a cliche, on a napkin in a coffee shop. <laughs> That's and amazing. just said, um, you know, I think careers are just, A, our careers have not worked out in the way that we'd necessarily expected or anticipated and actually, in the main, that's been a really good thing because we've got to explore different possibilities, mm. move in different directions. We've learned more than we could have imagined. And what we also saw at the same time is that lots of people didn't have access to some of the career development tools and ideas that we'd had that had really helped us so we were part of the fortunate few where if you're in a really big organization and you're you know labeled as high potential or you're you, you're you're seen to be doing well you do get some some amazing learning and development along the way but that's mm. very much for the um, yeah, for the fortunate few, it's it's not for everybody. And what we were really interested in was, well, surely actually everybody should have the opportunity to have a career that's as brilliant as they are. And what, how can we make what we have learned really affordable and accessible for everybody? Mm. And that's where the idea of Amazing If came from. And that's, um, we were, in lots of ways, we are the least likely entrepreneurs ever. Uh, we were both really <laughs> happy, really, really happy in our in our big companies doing what we were doing. Um, and Amazing If just started as a side project. Um, and actually, it took a really long time for it before it became a business, which uh, perhaps we'll talk about. Yeah, no, we need to talk about that. I just want to mm -hmm. pause here just to say, you know, I think it's a lovely objective for, for a company because I agree. I mean, I remember being a young um, employee and just looking up to all these people having different 
courses and all sorts of things and I just felt really jealous because actually at that time I was really struggling you know and we've just talked mm. about that so I think it's such a worthwhile pursuit um and and yeah it's it's um how did the sort of did it start from going from that kind of side hustle to sort of snowballing into where it is today well, for a long time, um, you know, even when we started, the word side project didn't really even exist back in 2013. Mm. Um, that's kind of a newer invention. Uh, it was just something that we did after work, basically. And we'd got the time. So neither of us had got kids then. Um, we'd got mm. the time. We'd got the capacity. We were really passionate about it. And we were just having loads of fun. We were just doing, yeah. um, we did some workshops that we invited really our friends too and people that we already knew <laughs> uh, we started our podcast um you know two and a half three years ago now really small just talking to each other probably about 10 people listening um <laughs> and and we just we just enjoyed it so for a long time it was just us doing stuff that we would choose to do anyway because that's how we enjoyed yes. spending our spare time <laughs> um and then it started to grow a bit when organizations started to uh, get in touch with us and say oh we'd be really interested in you coming to do some of this development that you're doing mm. for people in the evenings it like during the day as part of our team meetings or as part of our learning programs and we just started to try that out um we got really good feedback but at that time we were taking holiday from our day jobs wow. to go and do that um so clearly that's not sustainable um <laughs> so we did that for a bit and then we had some kids, um, not together, but we both had kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. Helen's got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I've got a three-year-old now. And I think at, in the last couple of years, um, you know, our podcast started to grow, and we um, got this book deal with Penguin, and we were writing our book. And it just started to feel like um, we got some really positive momentum. So actually, when we first started talking about squiggly careers, people didn't nod their heads the way that they do now. People were like, mm. oh, yeah, so, sort of get it. But it didn't resonate or stick in the way that now people are like, oh, it's yeah. really compelling. It's a, it's, a, it's a great way of describing what we're all experiencing. So it took time. It took time to get traction. It took time to get that momentum up. Obviously, everyone always says this, but it really is true. There is like no such thing as an overnight success. Everyone's mm. just squirreling away in the background and then you just see the shiny That's moments. Right. Um, and I suppose yeah. the big point was... Um, when Helen des Helen decided to leave Microsoft to run Amazing If, and we knew that we'd got enough money that we could pay her for a year, so she'd basically got a year to Amazing. make it work. Um, we didn't do it no at the same pressure. time, so yeah, she she went first, and then about a year later, um, she obviously Enjoyed. basically as soon as soon as she started working on it, it like grew about a million times because she's so good and uh, she's incredible <laughs> and so suddenly it was sort of like oh okay well when are you going to come because we've got too much work now uh, nice amazing. problem to have and yeah. then yeah and I I then joined um about two months before COVID hit so that was interesting yes I remember you saying this uh, <laughs> with that's another conversation we need to mm. pick back up but um one thing that I wanted to sort of two things uh, that you said that was interesting was one um you were saying the, the the practicality is taking days off as holidays. Yeah. Um, I, I just wondered at one point, did you have to have that kind of awkward conversation with your bosses and go, you know, that kind of side project we're doing, it's kind of going well. Do you mind me doing this? Was that yeah. difficult? Um, so there was, there was definitely a point where amazing if we're starting to grow and 
it was never a conflict because it was never a conflict with my day job. Mm. So my day job was always different. It was my day job was never people development. It was corporate responsibility. It was marketing strategy. So that was useful in some ways because there was never yes. kind of that overlap. Um, what I did once we started to grow Amazing If, I started to work a four-day week. So I asked Sainsbury's if I could work a four-day week so that mm. I could spend one day on Amazing If. Um, that was very unusual to to do that um, and still is relatively unusual, I would say, but four-day weeks are more common now than they were certainly back in 2015. Mm. Um, and that was helpful because it created a clear boundary and barrier around this other thing that I did and like I said I think because Mm. people already looked at me and were like yeah she's um a bit weird and left field (laughs) it was like yeah it's just Sarah doing something you know a bit strange but that's sort of her vibe and um but that really helped I think the the I did have this kind of conflicting time where I was like oh I feel like I'm being pulled in quite a few different directions and even like when I had to leave the office um to go and maybe do a workshop in the evening but perhaps you felt like you shouldn't really be leaving because there was a lot of work on and that, mm. that that did feel hard and I don't think I could have done that for very long. And yet no. once I'd got the four-day week thing, um, it just made everything very clear, very transparent and that was um, that was the best thing to do and I kind of did that actually for a couple of years. That's great and that's actually a really good piece of advice because I love what you said about having boundaries. I think it's so key. You know, we talk a lot about work-life balance and, and and whether that's a thing or not, that's a different discussion. But but having clear boundaries is the best way to sort of being able to do to be good at your job and to be good at your side hustle. Hundred mm, percent. And you talked about um, how this was not an overnight success, and in fact, it took <laughs> you quite a lot of years. And I I remember hearing that a while back, and you sort of said that piece. And for me, that was such a, a great thing to hear because people don't say that enough. Maybe because it's a world of Instagram social, where it's <laughs> always it feels like there is that kind of overnight success. But I think you know what's really lovely is that you're you've always been very open about the struggles. In fact, you're probably using that as sort of great case studies to sort of show (laughs) just how much of a squiggly career life is. Yeah, and I think we shouldn't shy away from the practical discussions around what it means uh, to, to set up your own business. And Helen and I were always very clear about financially what that needed to look mm. like for it to be a viable business. Um, the fact that we didn't want to take external investment, but that we did want to pay ourselves from day one yeah. um, was really important because we are um, kind of, I, I don't even know if the phrase kind of breadwinners really means anything anymore, but certainly we needed to still pay our mortgages and our childcare costs essentially. Um, and that was, that, that wasn't going to change. And so we sort of needed to build it up in the background to even consider being able to kind of make that transition from working for someone to working for ourselves. Um, and I think alongside the practical considerations, there's also the emotional ones. And I think that's actually what I'd underestimated letting go of the identity that I think I'd built for myself and around mm. myself around the job titles that I'd got and the brands that I worked for. Um, I think actually Helen found that bit less hard. I think um, perhaps it was just less of kind of who she was, but I genuinely think I worried a bit about do people only talk to me and are interested in me because I've got this job where you maybe have Mm. um, like quote unquote, like some power or some influence or, and I was like, Oh, people are going to be still interested in me. And so I think I had quite a few question marks about like what letting go of that 
look like mm. and meant for me, probably more than I realized at the time. And I think that's why I was a bit slower to kind of make that move into amazing. If I think I, I could have practically, I could have gone further, gone gone sooner, sorry. Sure. And I think the reason actually, the thing that held me back was actually then some more uh, emotional reasons. Mm. And it just took me a little while to just figure that out. And actually I did some the one thing I am good at is I'm a good future thinker. So we all have mm. a natural tendency towards past, present or future. So I am, my priority is a uh, priority order in terms of the way I think is future, present, past. And so the thing that was useful for me was kind of visualizing some mm. scenarios. And actually once I did a, um, once I did a worst case scenario plan of, okay, well, if I, if I make this move and it doesn't work out, what would I do and had figured out what that might look like and actually felt really comfortable with that funnily enough it allowed mm. me to make what was quite an uncomfortable decision so scenario planning can be for your career I think can be really helpful because if you are uncomfortable with those scenarios mm. and that could happen it might not be the right time and that's okay too and I think if I'd have done it any sooner it wouldn't have been right for me that's right. Sometimes you can't force your mind when it's just not ready. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. Visualization has always worked really well for me, but it's mm. not a tool that um, a lot of people know about. Again, no. if, if you're a fan of uh, uh, analyzing yourself and making yourself better, that's the type of thing that, you know, you sort of read about. But what's great with what you're trying to do is really bring that to the masses. Well, I think with visualization, um, one thing I'd just say on that, if people want to have a go, because uh, only because I've literally just done some research on this for our next book. Oh, great. Is, um, there's a really big difference between um, wishful thinking, which is just visualizing and like mm. just ima- imagining. So imagining is useful, but imagining is much more useful, actually, if at the same time you do something called mental contrasting. And what mental wow. contrasting helps you to do, which sounds more complicated than it is, is essentially you need to both imagine futures and at the same time think about what the obstacles might be and what you might do about them. So the way that mm. we've articulated this or kind of the idea that we're coming up with to try and make this um, really accessible to everybody is do wishful thinking at the same time as what if thinking. So you might think, mm. oh, it'd be amazing if I could um, run my own business uh, in graphic design. And then you would at the same time do that mental contrasting of going, oh, what are those obstacles? And therefore, what might I do about those? So it helps to make that imagining also Mm. realistic and quite practical. So I quite like this idea of mental contrasting. I think that helps visualization to feel really useful for people. And then it it, it translates it into practical actions that you can start to take now. Does that make sense as a, as a way oh, to completely. describe that? I, yeah, okay. it's sort of anchored. Um, it's dreams are anchored in reality. Yeah. Because I think sometimes you could be at risk of uh, almost sort of being seen as just, you know, your dreams could just be too big. And then suddenly you just, the disappointment that comes with not yeah. getting there, because I've been there as well. It's all well and good being able to sort of dream about it. But if it doesn't come to fruition, you shouldn't feel like you're a failure. Whereas this kind of practical advice makes it sort of very real. I think that's hugely beneficial. And actually brings me on to um, 
uh, a little bit of an anecdote that happened during the pandemic. I was telling my best friend that we were sort of chatting on one of my events and she uh, she doesn't work in the world of, uh, in the kind of marketing or world of advertising and she recognized your, your name straight away and she said, oh my God, she's the, wo- she's the woman uh, with Helen, of course, <laughs> that helped me through the pandemic because she got made um, redundant and oh, okay. of course that was um that was really hard and she's like me very practical she sort of got all the books and also listened to your to your podcast and um and I think uh I mentioned this story for two reasons because obviously what's so great is that she was able to find the right advice and now she's got a job which is brilliant and one that she's oh, very passionate about um, but it's also about what you're saying about identity. And I think a lot of women, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you've probably done more studies on this, is that uh, we we attach so much of ourselves sometimes in a job rather than looking at our values and, and what mm-hmm. we're about. Yeah, I think it's it's a risk that we that we need to be aware of, that your mm. I, your identity is about who you are, not what you do. Or what your job title says. Yes, um, and exactly. we need we need to make sure that there is distance between the job that we show up to do day to day and kind of who we are and, and what what we stand for. And if those things become too, there's actually a phrase for it now because I think it happens more often. They they talk about this idea of enmeshment, which I think is really mm. evocative. It's like basically if you, if you get too enmeshed in basically the company and your job um, and your title, they're also all things that you can't control. And that's mm. there's, a, there's a kind of danger to that and a vulnerability that comes with that. Um, like you're making yourself vulnerable to things you can't control and changes that can yeah. happen around you. Versus Completely. I think if you can attach your identity to your values and, if you, and your values are the things that make you you, they're the things that motivate and drive you. And they're there from actually a really young age. They're of they're just often unconscious. We just don't know about them yes. in a kind of very conscious way. And I think when you do really think about your values, they can be a career compass. They can guide you. They can help you make the right decisions for you versus what you should do or could do. Um, mm. And you, you feel much more confident and in control. And, you know, thinking about your values takes takes time um, and it, it's a, it's not something you kind of crack overnight. It definitely is something no. you need to keep, keep coming back to. But three questions that I think you can ask yourself to get started is ask yourself some what's most important to you questions. So mm. ask what's most important to you about what you work on? What's most important to you about where you work? And what's most important to you about who you work with? And actually what we find in our workshops is, Though there's loads of things you can do on values that that we talk about, even just starting by thinking about those three questions, everybody answers those questions in a different way because we're all motivated Mm. by by different things. And they those questions give you some really good initial clues as to what your values might be. And then you can start kind of thinking about them, thinking about them more. And we've done a few podcast episodes on values if you want some kind of free resources on those. Mm. But certainly starting with that what's most important to you question will, will mean you can make some kind of quick and simple progress yeah completely and I think you know it almost goes back to what we were saying at, at the beginning what you were saying about your values and um, I completely see just how important it is to sort of really crack that 
um, because it's just going to be not just beneficial for your career, but for yourself as well. I can imagine that you could apply that to a lot of things in life as well. Yeah, and you don't have values um, that are separate for different parts of your life. So you don't have work no. values and pers- like separate ones. You just have who you are, what makes you you. And <laughs> if you, another really kind of revealing exercise is often if you do, a, um, if you think about just the, if you were to pick the top two or three highs and lows of your career so far, like whether you've been working for two mm-hmm. years or 22 years. And often what you'll find is that all of those career highs, what they have in common is that you are living your values. Your values were very mm. present in your personal life and in your professional life. And often those career lows is because those values were either being challenged in some way or weren't there. So they were mm. they were missed they were missing. And actually, um, just a kind of short story: I achievement ideas and learning. Those three values I've I've known about and kind of have had very clear in my mind for quite a few years now. And I started working on values quite a long time ago. But mm. actually, my my fourth value, variety, was something that I really only consolidated and got clarity on when uh, it would have been three or four years ago where that really was missing from my life Mm. Um, I had a very tough time on maternity leave and I found maternity leave very hard and I'd always had this thing around oh you know I love doing lots of different things I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and I really like variety and it was really only at that moment that I thought actually do you know what I think that's important enough that it is one of my core values Mm. that I that I like being with different people in different spaces that I don't, I'm a natural polymath. I don't like to be kind of tied down to one thing. Um, And actually, and this this is my point about values is something you keep working on and you keep coming back to. They're not something to be solved. I think they're something to be explored. Lovely. That's really lovely. And on that, actually, because I was going to ask you um, more about motherhood, um, <laughs> because um, you sort of hinted to that before. Um, and and the key thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, we talked a little bit about boundaries and how, and also you talk about variety and having different types of projects mm-hmm. on the go. Do you have clear boundaries as to when you suddenly have to stop the work, you know, be at home how how does it work exactly um I mean I work a lot um and I'd always want to be very transparent about that Mm -hmm. and and I love what I do and uh, my little boy Max has been at nursery from from a very young age and he he goes to nursery for a lot of the day so Mm -hmm. that makes that makes my life easier (laughs) and I was always really clear that that's what I wanted to do and I absolutely kind of subscribe to the view that if you're happy, your kids will be happier. Um, yes. So, and and that's a kind of intertwined relationship. So that that creates boundaries. Just you know, he's at nursery yes. for most of the day, so that's helpful. And then there are times where um, that works better than others. So we've been writing our second book recently, and there have been weekends where I've needed to work. And you know, mm. obviously that that's not great, and that's not ideal. But you make those choices kind of along the way and also you know that it's not forever so I think the way that I think about it is not work-life balance but work-life fit and I Mm -hmm. don't worry about having work-life fit I imagine all the pieces of puzzle of my puzzle that I want to fit together and I don't worry Mm. about everything fitting perfectly all of the time what I worry about is okay for this week 
how can I fit the things that are important together in the right way? And that might mean that one piece of the puzzle gets left out for a little bit or left to one side. And I can't spend as much time on it in that here and now. But I am very aware of kind of a process of constant calibration where I keep coming back to it and thinking, okay, well, if on that Saturday I had to work, and that, that is quite unusual, it's not something I do very often, I would then maybe think, oh, but in a couple of weeks, I might take a day off and actually um, spend a day mm. with my son, my son and my partner that I wouldn't have done before. And so I never think it's helpful when people beat themselves up or feel guilty yeah. about achieving some sort of nirvana that I swear is just... Mm no one's reality so I think we just need to let go of that and that's right uh, like it's, it's just comp- I think it's really unhelpful I don't Completely. think we should judge each other and I don't think we should judge ourselves either I think what yeah. you've got to do is work out what works for you and you know within the scheme of your kind of family setup as well because it's, it's not just about you and then I think you have to um just remind yourself that they're the right choices for you because sometimes I definitely see that people around me might think that I'm not making the right decisions or should be doing things differently but as long as you know you're doing the right thing for you that's basically all you've got to worry worry about mm. you only need to compare yourself to yourself essentially yeah I'm I'm so glad I asked you that question because I knew <laughs> you would have a really really interesting I mean I think personally right answer I think and I would also say I think what I love is that your timetable is different. Like, I think there's such a sort of push with uh, society that the weekend should be reserved for for family, staff, or whatever. And actually, that I find that extremely unhelpful because you might take mm. a day off during the week and that might suit your family much better. And actually being flexible on that kind of timetable, days, or whatever, of when to work and not to work is, is the best thing for yourself and for your family. Yeah, and I think in squiggly careers now, uh, we need to have careers as individual as we all are. And I don't think exactly. we should feel limited by lots of things that are legacies of career ladders and ways of working That's that were designed about 100 years ago. So I think when we sort of remind ourselves of that, you're like, okay, yeah. well, if you want to work on a Saturday morning and that's because you've taken a Friday afternoon off, well, you do that. Do what works for you. Exactly. And I think that is so liberating. I, I definitely sort of applied that for my life and I already see just how much more happy I mm-hmm. am. And on the, my last question, because I am conscious yep. of time, <laughs> um, you mentioned a few times about your new book. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Oh yeah, of course. Um, it's not out for ages. It's not. It's, you have to write books way before they come out, but it's out in <laughs> January 2022. Um, right. which just feel like a lifetime away but it's called You Coach You um, and it's basically uh, written really because we want to democratize career coaching so back to where we started our conversation mm. career coaching is usually only available to certain levels in an organization um, it's very hard for people to fund for themselves it's not you know you know it's, it's hard for people to afford it and what mm. we wanted to do was take the tools and techniques that we both know as kind of qualified coaches and that we use in our work and really help people to kind of do some self-coaching, that self-awareness, that listening to yourself, asking yourself some really good questions. Doesn't mean that we're not saying you should go and have um, conversations with other people because those conversations are incredibly useful and valuable, but it's really about how you can further your own insights and awareness on things like you know, purpose at work, resilience, relationships, self-belief, mm. those big topics that we find come up time and time again. 
So we've tried to design a bit of a coaching toolkit that we think will work regardless of what career challenge you might be experiencing. And then we've looked at kind of six or seven big topics that we just know are particularly relevant to people right now um, and given you different tools and, and ideas for action on that, that you can take and try out for yourself, really um, all with this ambition of getting people to just integrate kind of self-awareness and coaching into their own working week mm. um, and kind of design their days in a, in a way that works for them. That sounds wonderful. That sounds yeah, well, really great. You have to wait and I see. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for it to come out. Thank well, you. on that note, thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this. Um, that was really great. Loads of learnings, hopefully for the listeners, but definitely for me. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Way Up. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Please look out for more empowering interviews in the weeks to come. Now, I have a couple of special favors to ask. Firstly, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. It really helps generate exposure for the podcast and allows a wider audience to get access to these really important topics. Secondly, if you know of anyone else that would enjoy this show and benefits from the topics I cover, then do please share the podcast. Um, By sharing this with just a couple of people, it will just help spread the good message and hopefully support the women this podcast was designed to reach. Finally, if you can follow This Way Up podcast or One Word on Instagram, you'll get notified of future episodes. And the idea is that together we can build a powerful community and hopefully start to change the creative industry. That's it from me, until next time.